Welcome to Shared Ground, where we meet to explore the lands and forests of eastern Canada, Mi'kma'ki, and our relationships to the rest of nature. One of the main purposes of this podcast is to hear opinions and ideas from many different people. Each perspective will hopefully lead to a better understanding of a bigger picture. I am Amanda Bostland, and I am in search of ideas, practices, and attitudes that offer mutual benefit for humans and all species for whom these lands are home. I am grateful to be living in Mi'kma'ki and recognize that this is the unceded and ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. For this episode, I thought it would be fun to share a segment from a show called On These Shores from Coastal Villages Community Radio. CVCR was based on the South Shore in La Have, which sadly closed last fall. The segment I'd like to share with you is an interview with Josh Clark, who runs a wonderfully named, exciting new business called South Spore Mushrooms. I've recently caught up with Josh for a follow-up chat, and that will be the next Shared Ground episode to follow this one. I'll insert a little clip from that conversation after the CVCR interview to update you on where he's at now with his mushroom business. And so now, we'll go back in time slightly to May of 2023, when host Sarah Tingley interviewed Josh Clark live for Coastal Villages Community Radio. Our next guest, I wanted to say that we are exceptionally lucky here on the South Shore. We've got quite a number of working farms in our communities. We've got fruits, vegetables, berries, we've got vineyards, people with livestock farms, a whole wealth of options. But when I saw a post online this week about a new farm in the Blockhouse area, I was especially excited because it's something brand new, featuring produce that I've found has been sometimes pretty difficult to source locally. So we are pleased to have in the studio Josh Clark, the man behind South Spore Mushrooms. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, we are very glad to have you in the studio and glad to have your enterprise in the community. And And before we get into it specifically, just maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first came to consider growing and selling mushrooms. Well, I'm a chef by trade. And back in 2007, doing my co-op, I remember a mushroom forager farmer coming to the establishment that I worked at. Ah. And he came in with a box of myataki or hen in the woods is another name for it. Okay. And a couple other species of mushrooms. And I seen the chef counting out, it was like $250. And this guy "Hmm." puts it in his pocket (laughs) and he's covered in twigs and sticks and leaves and it's in his hair and it's in his beard (laughs) and he's happier than anything I've seen. And he's clicking his heels, walking at the door. And I'm like, wait a second, what just happened there? (laughs) And, um, I kind of had a little chat with him and we were outside and he opened his van and his van was full and he was just going around from restaurant to restaurant selling I, these I mushrooms. I thought you were going to say full of money for a second well, no, no, yeah. full, of, full of beautiful gourmet mushrooms. Anyways, um, he was telling me how he farms and forages mushrooms. And then Neat. I kind of said, I can do that. I, I'd like to learn about this. So I picked up a couple books and um, decided to hit some trails and go walking and see what I could find. And I ended up finding chanterelles and black trumpets. I found lion's mane. Um, and all right, all right here in our communities? All in our communities. So, ah. And um, yeah, I used to uh, spend a lot of time in the woods on my own time and just kind of beating paths down and 
Again, I was covered in sticks and twigs, and I was finding mushrooms. <laughs> and probably quite a feeling of satisfaction when you it, actually identify one out there. It's a great rush when you actually find a patch of chanterelles or black trumpets. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes you would find a few, and sometimes you'd find a lot. And sometimes the bugs and the deer might have got to them before mm-hmm. you have, so they might be past their prime. And um, reading books and learning about it, it's like, you know, I think I could forage the, well, farm them, sorry. Yeah. And um, I now have three kids and my oldest now is 11. And when he was still in diapers, I remember taking him uh, mushroom foraging with me and saying, you know, I think I'd like to start a farm maybe sometimes and being an encouraging little boy that he is, he kind of agreed with me and said, um, you should give it a go because, you know, I think I could help you and we could do it together. And that's I, pretty uh, lovely. <laughs> and yeah, it's been about five or six years ago. I was really considering doing it, you know, and I work offshore and I'm gone for quite a long time, five weeks on, five weeks off. So um, being out there for a long time kind of makes you rack your brain of what else could I do on, as a side hustle? Like, because I have lots of hobbies and mm-hmm. some some make you money and some keep you in shape and some keep you <laughs> creative. And that's the the type of person I am. So um, I finally pulled the trigger last year and started making some investments on some equipment. Um, Because, yeah, that's that's the thing. You you got this idea, this dream, but turning that into a a reality, a working business, what what has that entailed? Well, there's several ways of of growing mushrooms and some they call the low tech method. And there's very intricate ways of doing it. I mean, you need to have a positive air laboratory to do culture work. Um, there's ways of pasteurization for the substrate that's could be done with a steam sterilizer, or for my case, I have a pressure cooker. And the um, substrate, that's the material it grows in? The substrate is, the, okay. it's a supplemented sawdust. Okay. And mm-hmm. some mushrooms grow on different substrates. Some can grow on straw, some can grow on certain mm-hmm. types of sawdust and different supplementations for different um, mushrooms. And it's a lot of research behind it. There's a lot to it. And you have to be incredibly aseptic. You have to be um, very, very clean environment. And the fruiting room is a negative air room where it's always pulling fresh, clean air into the room, which is humidified. And mushrooms produce a lot of CO2, and they breathe in oxygen like we do. So it has to be very fresh, clean air coming in and then the CO2 going out. And then the laboratory would be a positive air room where it's putting clean, filtered, HEPA spec filtered air into the lab, which is blowing air away from your workspace. And I also have a laminar flow hood where I actually do my culture work in front of directly. So when I go in the lab, it's fresh after a shower, clean gloves, um, a lab coat. It's not the, mask, the dirty environment we think of every, with being out in the soil. No, it's very, wow. it's once you're doing the incubation process, you have to be incredibly sterile because you're actually competing with contaminants of other types of like bacteria right. or mold spores, which are in the air everywhere is on our clothes. So and that part of it is incredibly intricate. And then once you get the incubation part done and then it's colonized, then you're kind of in the then, green then you're zone. In the green, and and how, did, how, how did you go from A to B in terms of 
creating these very scientifically, you know, pristine environments. So did you buy it wholesale? Did you build everything yourself? How did you get there? Um, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I was actually going to jump on the LaHaye Ferry and go to a friend's place because I'm actually a musician and I play drums. So I was actually going to... Uh, you do have a lot of hobbies. I do have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> I was actually going to go across the river to the Dublin Shore to a friend's place to practice. And I, like lots of people, missed the ferry by, I believe, a minute. <laughs> and he didn't want to stop and come back and get me, which he would do sometimes. Um <laughs> So I was actually eyeballing a piece of steel to build a component of the sterilizing tank that I was trying to build at Snyder Shipyard. And um, I procrastinated stopping in and asking about this particular piece of steel I seen on the ground. So this one day I said, well, I guess I'm driving around the bridge and I'm going the long <laughs> way to here. We've all had those moments. <laughs> so um, on the way I said, well, you know, I have nothing really going on that's that important. I stopped in the Snyders and went to the metal shop and I asked this gentleman about the steel and he asked me to point out which particular piece of steel I was looking at. And I told him and he asked me what I was doing and I said, it's going to sound silly, but I'm actually building a mushroom farm and I'm building a boiler and a autoclave and a mixer and <laughs> this is kind of where I'm at. And then he looked at me and he said, well... I actually know someone that has everything you're talking about right now in his building and he's not using it. And it's been there for about seven or eight years. <laughs> and he's a friend of mine and he actually cut some wood for me and just so happens that I seen it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of coincidental. That's pretty grand. So um, I asked if he had his number and he said, I actually don't. And I asked if he knew his address and he didn't know that right <laughs> offhand, but he gave me a general description of where it was in the back of Bridgewater in Laconia, Lapland area. So such a sad story. Yes. Yeah, oh, so, no kidding. So he said, um, you know, if you go down this road and it's the only brick house with a gigantic tent in the backyard. And I said, okay, I'm going to I'm off. go. I'm going. <laughs> so I went directly to his house and I knocked on the door and this little lady came to the door and I introduced myself and said how I was interested in mushroom cultivation equipment. I was wondering if I could take a look at it or if it's still available. Mm -hmm. And then she said, yes, go down and see my husband, Jimmy Wagner. He's in the backyard and uh, just knock on the door and be careful because I believe he's swinging a golf club in there and practicing his swing in his, in his gigantic <laughs> greenhouse tent. I wouldn't want you to get hit with a ball, she said. So anyways, I knocked on the door. I went in and I met this gentleman and I seen the equipment down in the corner and it's pretty much exactly what I'm looking for you know and he told me his story about how he was cultivating mushrooms and uh, it was a project with his son and then his son ended up getting out of it and he ended up closing down because he was up in age and he just didn't want to really do it anymore mm -hmm. and and it just fell through for him and um, he had built m majority of this equipment himself and he actually um, he told me what it cost him. And then as soon as he told me the cost on the equipment and what he paid and what the hours he put in. And I said, you know, like as much as I would love to buy this from you, mm. I just I feel it's, it's just a bit out of my price range mm. where I'm just starting up and I'm trying to do this as, as cost effective as possible. And he really liked my store and he, he met my kids and he thought it was really neat that we were um, doing this project together as a family. And, um, he said, I know that's a little bit much for you starting out. He said, just give me the weekend. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you Monday or Tuesday. 
So Monday rolls around and I'm pacing the house and chewing my fingers and <laughs> kind of doing, doing, the, the, phone doing the anxious, looking at my phone every 30 seconds, waiting for it to ring. And um, I didn't get a call. Tuesday morning, I had my coffee and I just said, you know what? I have to call him. I can't even wait. So I, call, <laughs> I called him and he answered the phone and he said, I was just about to call you. And then he um, he basically offered me the equipment for less than half of what he originally said. And it was a deal I could not turn down and I wouldn't be able to purchase it or build it myself for even twice as much as he sold it to me. Wow. So it just kind of sped up my process for building the farm the way we wanted to set it up. Feels like it was meant to be this connection. It feels like eh? it was meant to be. Yeah. So that being said, there's lots of ways of sterilizing. Um, the way we sterilize at South Spore is it's a basically a pressure cooker device, and it takes about two and a half hours to sterilize our substrate. Mm-hmm. Now, traditional ways, I mean, you can just steam sterilize, and it takes 20 to 30 hours of pasteurization, okay. which isn't really cost effective, and you're always feeding water, and you have to have mm. power or some heat source to do this, and you don't have a lot of room to work, say if it was a a large pot or a 45 gallon drum. There's only so much substrate you can fit. And I luckily purchased a 10 foot autoclave, which I can do up to 80 blocks of substrate, which is about 800 pounds at once, which I won't be doing that much because it's a substantial amount. (laughs) So, um, and it only takes two and a half hours and a day of cooling. So it's very efficient. And moving forward, um, our boiler is going to be on a standby heat of electric heating elements that I'm going to set up solar oh. so I can keep the heat in my boiler to prevent mm-hmm. the heat exchanger from breaking down over mm-hmm. time. Right. And I plan on using a waste oil burner to utilize like deep fryer oil and cooking oil, which is right. a carbon neutral when burned. So it's going to be environmentally friendly as well. That's and, great. Um, I actually hooked up with a local mill and he's supplying us with a lot of oak sawdust because he builds lobster traps for people. So we have a nice, sustainable Just uh, all in the community of sawdust. Kind of and um, I actually purchased wood from him for the farm for structures and sheds and lean-tos and different things that we're going to be needing on the farm as well. So it's kind of giving back as well and helping him out. So... Um, and and when you um you know in terms of the farm which I know is is a, it's an indoor farm facility it is right yes. uh, where where are things now are you up and running are you producing where, we where are, are up and running we are producing um, we're doing a smaller amount at the moment because we're just kind of getting our inventory stocked up, up <laughs> and it takes some. Incubation times are three weeks on some strains. Some are fast fruiting strains. They take two weeks. Um, some of them are three months, like our shiitakes are going to take three months mm. in incubation. So you kind of mm. got to have a every other day kind of do a batch. Cycling. And then that way, when you get to the harvest point, you're moving from incubation into the fruiting room, fruiting room into mm-hmm. sales. So that's basically where we are now. We really are trying to do this as a cost-effective way possible. Um, I purchased a lot of material in bulk, and I purchased a lot of the 
the grow bags because there's a special grow bag that unicorn bags sell. And they have a biodegradable product as well, which is a really nice way of doing this. Fits in nicely, yeah. Right? So they sell a biodegradable production bag, a filter patch bag. And um, it's just basically um, a very repetitive process where... (laughs) You're kind of. You can gradually ramp up from there if you, you get gradually. more, and as exactly. as things get going. And what mm-hmm. what are can I ask? What varieties you're growing so far? Right now, in the fruiting room, we have lion's mane, blue oyster, and chestnut mushrooms. And incubation, I have yellow oysters, elm oysters, tree oysters, pearl oysters, <gasps> and myitake or hunt of the woods, which I'm experimenting on a supplemented sawdust recipe that. Didn't work for me before, but I'm trying again because there's lots of trial and error. It's a constant experimentation, eh? Yeah, I'm constantly learning. And there's so many different ways of doing it. And there's different recipes. There's different techniques. And it's it's a very – I find it incredibly interesting. And I actually enjoy every aspect of mushroom cultivation from speaking to chefs – being in the industry, I know a lot of chefs that I went to school with and worked with that are friends with other chefs, and and they're kind of like, oh, go see this guy and go see this guy. You know, we're all interested in your product. And then there's the market thing, which you know, direct marketing would be ideal. Uh, standing at a farmer's market every other day might not be as more, ideal. It, it might not be as ideal <laughs> right. with the family and so on and so forth. But I'm not ruling it out. I mean, there's going to be markets, but I'm also interested in doing pop-up workshops with cooking mushrooms ah, as well, where I, I, I am was, a chef by trade. I was going to try oh, to hit you up idea. for some of your favorite mushroom recipes oh, for your products. There's so, there's so many. There's so many ways of doing it. It's all, it's all perspective. So it's, um, it's a great project. It's a dream come true for me. It's, it's been a grind. Um, I have a little workforce behind me with my children and my wife helping, and um, it's and are, great. Are the, are the kids getting involved? A bit? They are. My oldest son is very interested in the lab stuff. Oh, like neat. The very, oh yeah. Because it's quite sciencey, it's you know, quite behind science. it all. It is, and um, he. We both have little lab coats that we mm-hmm. wear, and and he's. Um, He's pretty keen on doing the aseptic stuff and learning about it and doing the culture work and doing the liquid cultures and the grain spawn. And it's um, so it is a family farm. It's definitely a family farm. And um, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty full on once we get going, because it's going to be it's going to be a steady routine of basically turning over product and, and sterilizing and then doing your and farming work. small scale farming as we've talked with you know others and with with different sorts of produce it's you know it's the it's all of it all together in terms of a business because it's the growing and then the packaging and then the reaching out and marketing and exactly. sales and and are you um, you talked about doing both markets and to restaurants and things um, if people listening you know have restaurants or shops where they're like hey I'd love to offer that produce what can they get in touch with you and how yeah, how could, to how does get that work a hold of us on our Facebook page and directly message me. And I'd be happy to answer any questions and we can talk about products in the future. Um, and, it, and then I'll just reiterate the name, which, by the way, South Spore Mushrooms is like <laughs> the best name. How, how did, did that just come to you in a dream or what? Um, well, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, last March, I took a trip off because I was dealing with my senior dog had some health issues and I knew he wasn't going to be with me much longer. So like always, I took my 
best mushroom hunting buddy, Drake, to uh, the forest, and we went for a walk, and um, I found some chaga mushrooms, so that was nice. It was, mm. it was a, a cold day, and um, I was trying to come up with a business name because I've already had purchased a lot of equipment. I'm already like working on the farm, and yeah. it's happening, <laughs> and I'm convinced that it, like, it's going to happen, but I was kind of stuck on a name. So racking my brain and saying, you know, like, how do I incorporate a cool name for this business that isn't kind of tacky. Like I didn't want to do like family name and I didn't want to do a nickname and I didn't want to do, and I'm thinking like South Shore Fungi, South Shore Mushrooms. And then I'm thinking spores. And then I'm thinking like, how can I do a play on words? And then I was like, oh, South Spore Mushrooms could be, could be <laughs> a could cool be play on one. words. Cause, <laughs> cause it's kind of Perfect. a play on words and it's unique. And it seemed, it, it seemed exactly right. exactly what you're doing. So I, I feel like, I don't know, it just came to me that day and and um, I remember getting home and I, I ran it by the kids because, of course, they're, uh, <laughs> they're going <laughs> to give me their, they're gonna give me their <laughs> honest opinions. So, so uh, they thought it was a great idea and I messaged a couple of friends and they thought it was a great name and I was pretty convinced it was. And then my wife and I registered the business name and we had the website domain name checked over and there was and nobody had taken game. it nobody had taken it so <laughs> thankfully for i think 14 dollars a year i have i have the name registered now and You're and and here off we are to go and you and when when might i start seeing the product possibly you know lunenburg market or somewhere um, do you think or it's a good question we are fruiting now i'm actually going to turn on my humidity humidity box I call yeah. <laughs> it and turn the light cycle on the fruiting room today and um, hopefully two to three weeks time we're going to have some product coming out again I've been doing a little test runs and small batches and learning from my mistakes yeah. and learning and learning and learning because it's constantly learning and um, that won't stop <laughs> that won't stop and different techniques like I said of, of, of cultivating mm-hmm. mushrooms and um, hopefully in three weeks' time, we're going to have product going on shelves at a couple places and possibly markets. Very exciting. And yeah, I have a couple of friends that are chefs and restaurants that are eager to get our product mm-hmm. on their menus. And there's a few in Halifax. I actually secured a deal with Akerley Campus in Dartmouth. Oh, great. A friend of mine, he's one of the instructors, and he's very keen on getting our product on the culinary arts program for Acreley starting September awesome. to April. So there's like a steady supply for winter because it's going to slow down obviously in the winter time, but you know, we're, we're always doing different things. We're going to be doing a dried medley. I'm going to take some forage mushrooms that I find that are quality and mix them with some dried cultivated mushrooms, make a, like a medley of dried shelf stable product. Mm. We're doing, um, different powders and going to get into some tinctures and, well, Maybe I've, some preserves and pickled oh, mushrooms, which wow. are there's so many there's so many ways of doing them. Uh, my personal favorite way is, you know, fry them with some shallots and garlic and some sherry vinegar and some butter and salt and pepper, and that's kind of like my favorite way of having them. Wonderful, si- simply delicious, you know. Yes. So that's that's where we are. Well, I uh, I can't wait <laughs> to, to maybe see it on the shelves, 
<clears throat> locally as well because it um yeah and i'm hoping maybe you'll even pop up a recipe or two here and there on your on your site because uh, i look forward to, to cooking with some of them myself so thank you very much for coming in very Pleasure exciting coming. venture uh speaking with josh clark south spore mushrooms what an interesting story i'm i'm genuinely really looking forward to seeing some of those products out there so that was CVCR's Sarah Tingley interviewing Josh last May, and where I first heard about South Spore Mushrooms. As I mentioned earlier, I was excited to meet with Josh recently to learn more about his mushroom interests and knowledge, both generally and regarding cultivation. I look forward to sharing our full conversation with you in the next Shared Ground episode. For now, here is a bit of an update. I guess it's been about eight months since you did that other interview with uh, with yeah. CVCR, and I think you or somebody said during that interview things are going to slow down a little bit. I'm wondering if things slowed down for you. They and, did. They yeah. Definitely oh, good. Did. So you I, got a bit of a brick. I, I definitely scaled back of of the fast fruiting strains, and then I started doing the long fruiting strains. So ah. I took the time that I was putting in the fast fruiting strains because it's I haven't been full on with it. I've been just doing like a little bit at a time because you can easily have way too much production blocks going at one time. Mm. And then you have all these big flushes coming through and the restaurants are closed or slowing down or they're not buying as much, obviously. Uh. So then I either have to eat them or dry them and then I have a stockpile. So I just slowed down the fast fruiting strains and then I ramped up the shiitake this year. So I, I had... A couple flops where I made a mistake and I had contamination, which I had to kind of start over. And then I had success. I have like 500 pounds of shiitake blocks now fully, completely incubated. And I can just take a few at a time and fruit them if I want. Uh. So once they're incubated and, and they're in the dark room, they're in dormant. So until I open that bag and add humidity, mm-hmm. it's not going to um, grow. So it's kind of like... And this restaurant would like some more in a couple weeks. So I'm going to do a couple of blocks of this strain or a couple of blocks of that strain. So it's kind of nice that way that I can kind of pick and choose what I want to fruit when I want to fruit it. Mm. So right now you're selling to, to restaurants mostly? Yep. What, we can, what restaurants or what areas? Uh, Mersey and Maine and Liverpool have been a really good customer for oh, us. Cool. And they're a new restaurant and it looks beautiful. And actually my wife and I are do for a a lunch date there. So I'm looking forward to going down and seeing what they have going. Um, Mateus Bistro, Mahome Bay, Rebecca's Restaurant. Um, We will be at a couple of markets eventually. Hmm. And do you find any time to forage these days for fun? Yes, I do, actually. When I come in from sea, being on a ship for five weeks with electronics and pumps and people and it's like a lot of sensory overload and I find when I come home I just need to depress and I find a long walk in the forest like much needed just complete silence like the only thing you're listening to is the squirrel collecting you know pine cones or me feeding the squirrel some treats as I'm sitting on a patch of moss kind of just like enjoying the peace and quiet because it's mm. absolutely a lot to take in five weeks of that same oh yeah I can't so like when that. I'm home for five weeks I'm <laughs> I try to take mornings and do something active mm. if it's an exercise or a cold plunge or a walk in the woods or foraging I just try to make time to do that as much as possible and there's certain times of the year that 
different mushrooms are up. Like I know in the spring, I'll be definitely looking for more L's, 100%. And then as the year goes on, like there's different types of chanterelles and the summer chanterelles and black trumpets. And then then you're playing the rain too. And it's like, oh my goodness, we just had three days of rain. Like I'm going for it. Right. And I come home soaked and full of pin boughs and <laughs> sticks and twigs, but I usually have a big basket of mushrooms. Right. Just like that guy that inspired you originally, exactly. right? Exactly. Like <laughs> you're him. the twig he, guy now. He's my hero. <laughs> and we had a really good season last season for mushroom foraging. Oh, yeah. We had the best. Stay tuned for the next episode for the full follow-up conversation, where I hear about some of Josh's upcoming experiments for outdoor mushroom cultivation and much more. Thank you for listening to Shared Ground. Until next time, fellow humans. Thank you.